1: Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
3: Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means you might hear two hosts. Enjoy the show.
4: Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's January 14th. George Wallace was inaugurated as governor of Alabama on this day in 1963 And at his inauguration, he gave his famous Segregation Now, Segregation Forever speech. Ten years before that, in 1953, Wallace had been part of the re-election campaign of Governor Big Jim Folsom. And Folsom was really pretty progressive. He'd been campaigning for things like voting rights for Black citizens and ending the use of prison labor, improving the school system, hiring more women for government positions. And Wallace had a reputation as a dangerous liberal. Back in 1948, both he and Folsom had been delegates to the Democratic National Convention. And when pro-segregation Democrats had walked out of the convention, Folsom and Wallace had been some of the ones staying put. In 1958, Wallace ran for governor of Alabama for the first time, and his platform had a lot in common from when he had worked on the campaign of Big Jim Folsom. It was moderate to progressive. It still followed a lot of what Folsom had campaigned on. He had the support of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or NAACP. Meanwhile, his opponent in the Democratic primary was Attorney General John Patterson, Patterson was running on a pro-segregation platform and had the support of the Ku Klux Klan. In this Democratic primary in 1958, Patterson beat Wallace and then beat his Republican opponent, William Longshore, in just a landslide. The next part of this has been widely reported in some wording or another from a lot of different sources, but Wallace himself denied ever saying it. When people asked him what had gone wrong in his campaign, his response reportedly included a racist slur, something along the lines of, quote, I got out N-worded by John Patterson. This is the first and last time I will be out N-worded by another candidate. Wallace's life and his political career took a turn after this. He became very deeply depressed, and this combined with other issues in his marriage to lead his wife, Lurleen, to take their children to live with her parents and file for divorce— At the time, Wallace was a judge for the third judicial court, and with the election over, he went back to work and totally changed his approach to racial discrimination. He started actively trying to block civil rights legislation instead of supporting it like he had before. When he ran for governor again, he was pro-segregation and pro-state's rights, and he had the support of the Ku Klux Klan, like the man who had beaten him the last time around. This time, he won the Democratic primary and got 300,000 votes in the general election, even though no one else was running against him. The speech that he gave on Inauguration Day, 1963, was co-written by Asa Earl Carter, who was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Later on, Carter was also revealed to be Forrest Carter, author of The Rebel Outlaw, Josie Wales, and The Education of Little Tree. Here's that famous passage, from the speech Quote, today, I have stood where once Jefferson Davis stood, and took an oath to my people. It is very appropriate, then, that from this cradle of the Confederacy, this very heart of the great Anglo-Saxon Southland, that today we sound the drum for freedom, as have our generations of forebears before us done, time and time again through history. Let us rise to the call of freedom-loving blood that is in us and send our answer to the tyranny that clanks its chains upon the South. In the name of the greatest people that have ever trod this earth, I draw the line In the dust and tossed the gauntlet before the feet of tyranny. And I say, segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. It is not clear whether Wallace's shift from being socially progressive to explicitly supporting segregation and white supremacy was a genuinely held change in his views or whether he just thought it was politically expedient to win an election but he shifted once again in the opposite direction later on in his career after the passage of the Voting Rights Act. And this is just one moment in a decades-long career that also involved other instances of outright racism. There's a lot more to it in the November 30th, 2016 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for a flood that we told you was coming back in October.
0: Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ends. Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited to availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details.
1: Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
3: Quick warning before we start the show. Today's episode contains mention of suicide. Hey, y'all, I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History class, a podcast for people interested in the big and small moments in history. The day was January 14th, 1963. The Bell Jar, the only novel written by poet Sylvia Plath, was first published under the pseudonym Victoria Lucas. Sylvia Plath was born in 1932 in Boston. Her father died when she was a child, and many of her poems reflect her feelings about her father and his death. By the time she was a teenager, she was publishing stories and poems in magazines. While attending Smith College, Plath won a fiction contest and got a guest editorship at the magazine Mademoiselle. At the same time, she was dealing with depression, After she attempted suicide at age 20, she was hospitalized and treated with electroshock therapy. Plath went back to Smith after being hospitalized and graduated. She then studied at Cambridge University on a Fulbright Fellowship. There she met Ted Hughes, whom she married in 1956 and later had two children with. Plath went on to teach English at Smith College and published a collection of poems called The Colossus. Though she was praised for the craft and imagery of her poetry, she was also criticized for lacking a personal voice. Later, though, her poetry became less buttoned up and more candid. Her other major work, The Bell Jar, was first published in London on January 14, 1963. Plath had a hard time finding an American publisher for it, and it was British publisher William Heinemann who ended up accepting it. She used the pseudonym Victoria Lucas to keep from outing the people she fictionalized and to separate it from her other literary works. Plath wanted to write something like The Snake Pit, a semi-autobiographical book by author Mary Jane Ward about a woman's recovery from mental illness. The Bell Jar is also a semi-autobiographical novel, as it's based on her experiences of hospitalization and recovery. It's about a woman named Esther Greenwood who longs to become a poet. As she struggles with societal expectations placed on women, as well as her writing career, Esther becomes depressed. The story follows Esther as she goes through treatment and into recovery. The book received some lukewarm and some positive reviews. Today, it's recognized as a book that touches on themes of redemption, identity, gender, and the oppressions of contemporary American society. Plath had a huge burst of creative energy and wrote prolifically at the end of her life. But less than a month after The Bell Jar was published, Plath died by suicide. She had been sick and left to take care of her children after she and her husband separated, and she was still struggling with mental illness. Some of her work was published posthumously, including the poetry collections Ariel, Winter Trees, and Crossing the Water. I'm Eve Chefcoat. And hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you're hungry for more history, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCPodcast. And you can send your thoughts or comments to us at, at iHeartMedia.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you here again tomorrow with another episode.
1: Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
2: Hi, checking in for...
1: Or
3: the perfect table.
2: Hey, where are you?